Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with a creature and armor FX artist, a monster maker, foam fabricator, creature design and props wizard, born and raised on the South Side of Chicago, where he became enamored with uh, horror and sci-fi comics, as well as action figures at an early age. He's uh, known for his dark and dramatic take on well-known DC Comics characters paired with uh, horror elements. Please welcome Tristan Trizrex Johnson. Welcome to the podcast. Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? <laughs> Glad to be here. I, I think we could end it. That that intro was kind of dope. Like, I don't need to say nothing else after that. Like, I've, I've had people tell me, like, yo, I just need to take the intro and just chop that up as a separate thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, damn, okay. I got my cranberry juice. I'm straight. Nice. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can't follow that one up. It's almost like I, I at, at times I joke because of the Chicago thing, right? I almost want to do like the 96 Bulls like intro. You know? dun, dun, da, dun, dun, <laughs> right. da, da, Yo, they did that. I just uh I was a uh host, excuse me, I was a cosplay uh judge yeah. this past C2E2, and they played the 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 Bulls intro when I came out and I lost it. <laughs> I I got up there and I, I I just freaked out, man. That that is something. It's a call to action. Yeah. In that 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 <laughs> that little synth. Yeah. Listen, I was at all of those Bulls games, so it's like, listen, that to feel that energy when I come up, like all your hair stand up. I'm ready to run through a damn wall when I hear that intro. I mean, so. it's it's funny, like in watching, and even before we get to the, the the questions and the actual interview. But I remember um, you do I do this thing with the circle of friends that I have as to you know we were all watching the Last Dance at the same time, and we're trying to pick mm-hmm. based on the way people are depicted, who's who within my circle of friends, <laughs> and it got really mm-hmm. weird. It was like you know you're kind of Jordan, right? And I was like, am I? And it's like no, you're absolutely Jordan. It's like you're kind of better than the rest of us. You don't have a problem with letting us know, and I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> and I took that personal. You're right, right. <laughs> he's like, and, and then he threw out there this. He threw out there this. Which I'm always the astrology guy, and it's like, and you're an Aquarius. I was like, well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a good one. That's a good one. So yeah, before we get too deep and embedded into the the conversation, I wanted to open it up and. um you know, ask you about about your story. What is the Tristan uh, to Tris Rex uh, story? Like, let's let's give it to us. Give us the uh, the story. I mean, I could give you the chapters because it's still going, right? One hundred percent is still going. <laughs> so, the Tris Rex story. Uh, I'm pretty much the embodiment and the manifestation of a kid, only child, grew up on the south side of Chicago, the hood. All I had. <laughs> toys, video games, comics, movies, all of these things that really inspired me like at an early age, but I suppressed, you know, later on as, uh, you know, you get older, sports, girls, girls, you know, (laughs) certain things you kind of like want to keep to yourself as you get older, especially, you know, growing up in the hood, you want to have a certain, uh, you know, you want to be seen in a certain light. So certain things that you would kind of put to the back burner. Um, as I've gotten older, I've started to realize is that those things are what really make me special, my connection to those things, right? Yeah. Um, 
and, and just fast forward to, you know, mid-20s, I was uh, just got a promotion, just got engaged, you know, all this other stuff, you know, identity changing. I'm being looked at differently throughout, you know, in the world of yeah. things. And I really needed that that release as far as, uh, you know, that artistic and creative release. And one of the things that I saw, I always saw ads for like C2E2 or Wizard World or Comic-Con. I'm like, oh, that would be cool. Yeah. And um, I was talking to my therapist and we talked about it. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to uh, do a cosplay of a certain character I like. You know, I didn't know what cosplay was at the time. I just knew that costume design was a thing and set design was a thing because I come from theater, right? Yeah. Um. So I approached that as a therapy and it turned into something that I'm really passionate about because I'm able to express myself in ways that I'm not normally able to Yeah, coming from the corporate world and just being, you know, amongst my peers in like living in Chicago, you know, it's, it's certain things you kind of just like don't say, but as a cosplayer and as a costume designer, you could say all of those things. Yeah unapologetically right fast forward uh the 2022 now i'm uh you know kind of one of the game changers i guess you could say bringing back some of those special effects mm-hmm. practical effects elements but combining it with the modern cosplay techniques to create something uh new it looks like it's from hollywood but i made it for like a couple hundred dollars <laughs> and um uh, it works like it's from hollywood but it's super you know household oriented no, I, I <laughs> type dig of it. stuff so that's kind of like you know in a nutshell i was seeking therapy and yeah. an outlet and found my calling and passion like what i'm supposed to do forever like that's- i know that i'm that confident <laughs> i'm that confident that this is what i'm supposed to do forever that's so, that's that's great yeah. and and I, and I think being able to, you know, channel like, you know, having this period where, you know, I was in therapy and I remember, you know, talking about like presenting who, you, you know, having that protective, that armor, if you will. Right. You know, yeah. <clears throat> I'm, a six, I'm a six foot four, 300 pound black man. I can't just be like, yo, you watched that anime the other day, homie. It's like, nah, did you, you know, whatever the the thing is. Right. There is a a certain role that you're cast that you didn't pick that you didn't audition for. Mm-hmm. So to your point of earlier about there's certain things you can't talk about and say, and, you know, as a person that is a, a critical, critical thinker and that's into pop culture and that is in the comics and all of these different things, I, I definitely relate to what you're describing there of you can't be out there in the hood and like, yo, I just collected this like rare Robocop figure. And it's like, shut up. <laughs> It's an Ed 209, man. You got to see it. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, and getting into this point where I was doing that many pockets of sending a representative of who I am and and so on. Exactly. And it just doesn't work. And I remember the one of my friends, um, he reached out. We have, you know, Baltimore Comic Con here. And he was like, yo, um, we should go. And I just remember kind of being apprehensive of like, man, this is going to be whack. This is going to be stupid, you know, trying to be cool and not really mm-hmm. enjoying like, this is what I'm secretly watching at home, like, you know, with the lights off. Oh, no. And I'm seeing people just really just out there unabashedly, you know, just enjoying yeah. their fandom. 
And yeah. now that's a thing that I do. You know, I go to the blurred cons. I go to the the awesome cons here locally and try to be within that community and being able to have exchange and connect with people on that level while still, right. you know, kind of being cool, but also still being able to connect on that level because I'm interested in it. I remember I, I, I traveled to um, uh, Japan, uh, 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 Los Angeles one year for what I call my Japanese weekend. I went to Anime Expo and uh, it was Japanese. It was New Japan Pro Wrestling. That was the first time they came to the U.S. in their 45 year history at the time. Mm. So people are like, yo, you were gone for a while. Where'd you go? I was like, yeah, I was watching sweaty men and people in cosplay cos- costumes. And they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was just enjoying myself in California. I was and, having the time of my life. Yeah. So what was your first experience, let's say, with creatures, monsters, or what have you? Was it, you know, you saw maybe somebody with a really cool costume? Did you see something in a movie? What was that, like, seminal experience for you? That's a really good question. And it's something that I've been getting asked a lot, right? And I kind of boil it down to these two, these two specific scenes. So one, um, pretty much going to be the obvious, right? Because if you've seen my page and my recent work, but um, the, the in the film Aliens of 1986, <laughs> the scene where Ripley is rescuing Newt and she get out, you know, she thinks she has a clear pathway, but she looks down and she notices that she's in an alien hive. Yeah. yeah. Um, that scene where the queen is like in her like ovipositor and you see her head come out yeah. and the camera pans to a wide angle and you see how massive she is and her head comes out and she signals to her like left and her right and they, they got like guard aliens. That was some of the most enamoring stuff I've ever seen. Yeah. Why? Because I never saw anything like that specific creature. Yeah. You know, like there's not anything else I could point to mm-hmm. um, that looks like <laughs> that queen xenomorph. Yeah. And I was just like, I was freaked out. I was enamored. I wanted to know more. And I was just like in a state of shock. One, I, I just didn't know, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't know, like, you could make monsters or puppets that big so it was really cool to see and i I was tiny (laughs) and the second one jurassic park jurassic park it was uh the electric when the rexy broke out of the electric fence yeah the build up for that seeing a cup of water shake uh seeing the goat get eaten but when she broke out of that fence yeah, uh-huh. that's uh-huh. a level of fear and mystery that I chase and I try to recreate. I try to recreate it throughout my throughout my work because it's one of those things that, you know, it brings everybody together seeing that big, uh, that, that big, enormous monster. Yeah. You, know, you, you know, everybody has their favorite characters. Everybody has their trials and tribulations, right? But you can't put a color or a religion or a political view on, oh, shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't, you know, monsters bring people together. And I think a lot of people had that same feeling in 93 
in the theater seeing that because that's when you really believe that like yo i just saw a dinosaur right right and i I remember just a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for me like you know as a kid Mm -hmm. and i and i just did a review of jurassic park after watching the the latest one and i was like this is mid what are the island of lost toy dinosaurs under this you know what what is this (laughs) so i was like let me watch the good one and end up going back and doing a deep dive on it and you know, yeah, like I, I really get caught into the the Sam Winston, the wizardry of it. You, you kind of you mentioned, yep. uh, you know, aliens. So you obviously got the Geiger stuff there. Um, what would you say are some of those like who or what? I think I got the who part. I mean, the what part rather, as far as like a couple of those movies. But what are the biggest influences for you, artistically speaking? Artistically speaking, I mean, you already said it, Stan Winston. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Wang, yeah. um, Todd McFarlane, yeah, another huge one. Um, who else? I've been looking at a lot of Rick Baker stuff. Yeah. I really love his makeups. Seeing how I could, uh, you know, get some of that stuff to translate into what I'm doing uh, just with foam. But Stan Winston, you know, I, I'm like a I'm like a Stan Winston kid. Like <laughs> you could look at his whole cinematic portfolio and i could show you exactly where i was in time (laughs) or like you know who tristan was and so much of my work is uh inspired by him which you know which is why i'm doing the aliens line right now is because i want to try to recreate some of those same feelings but put my spin on it do something a little bit more darker you know give it that aliens feel Mm -hmm. with the whole you know combat type of feeling but make it super scary but that's what i'm good at i'm i'm, I'm good at making people feel uncomfortable I, i've noticed that and that has <laughs> nothing to do with you know cosplay that's just you know my human being you know well uh, we, there's a question about that a little later i think so I, I almost I almost envision you being like rain man a little bit too I, i'll name a movie you're like ah, tristan was doing this like pumpkin head, like uh so the year was nineteen eighty eight and <laughs> exact hey, I'm a savant when it comes to horror and R and B. Wow, wow. <laughs> Monsters and R and B is what I do. Jodeci in Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> Jodeci in Hellraiser. Cinnabites and ooh yeah. Thank you. Listen. Thank you. You you get it. You get it. Listen, get it. I could go teach at <laughs> Yale Brown right now. Just on the Velociraptor suit, twelve week course. That's all we're gonna talk about. That's this. This is gold. This is going. We're gonna talk about confessions. We need to talk about one of the best R and B albums of all time, and we're gonna uh, go ahead and talk about how One Twelve is the best R and B group. This is amazing. <laughs> um, you, you touched on a little bit earlier that your your background includes being a you know having a background in theater. And, you know, I read that there's some YouTube university that's in there in terms of some of the fabrication techniques. So so tell us more about your, your training, some of the stuff that goes into it, because, like, you know, I've seen people who are making something, you know, you said a lot of your stuff is like budgetable. It's, you know, stuff that you can see around the crane. It's like it's just wizardry. And, I, and that's the only way I can really put it. And because I've seen the stuff, I'm like, hold up, how? What? So, so tell me about some of your training and, and what goes into ultimately your work and bringing these creatures or effects to real life, making them come to life. Yeah. So, and, and just to preface this, right, I was always a creative kid. 
and creative person. You know, I don't want to mislead anyone to like, oh, you can do it too. Um, so <laughs> you can, you can do things, right? Um, but um, I basically started out just by like, first, I, I got the knack once I was uh, doing, you know, my technical theater classes, pretty much building sets for whatever production was coming up on the horizon, right? And um, I started to notice that I was really good at fabricating stuff. I was really good at making things, you know, like out of cardboard or something or painting something in a certain way to make it look like it's something totally different. Yeah. And um, always having that in the back of my mind, you know, once I started to, you know, hear about these cons and conventions, I used to go on YouTube to look at... uh you know, how they were building these armors. And just, you know, for reference, I was like, hey, what's the video game I like? I was really playing Arkham a lot. So looked up how to make a Deathstroke suit. And I noticed that they were doing a lot with just floor mats, X-Acto knives, and hot glue. Yeah. And I noticed that with, like, all of the tutorials I was looking, I'm like, wait, so you mean, like, I could just go to Home Depot and do <laughs> stuff? Yeah. And I literally was like... In Home Depot, like to the side, watching these videos and pricing stuff, and just like making specific lists and just like trying things out. And um, that's just you know how I how I learned is just like failing super fast. Yeah, you know, just like planning the work, right? Plan the work, work the plan, but failing fast as possible. Yeah. Excuse me, I need to get something to drink. But um yeah, just just like messing up over and over again until you get it right. Um it could be a little bit expensive, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things where it's like there's only one way to get good at something is to do it repeatedly. Mm -hmm. You know, and just to have that repetition and uh, the cool part about that is certain things that I used to try like in 2019 or like 2018 even that works perfectly now yeah. for like the bigger broader stuff but when you're talking about the human form you know some stuff is like ah this ain't gonna work right you know yeah. um so the whole trial and error is like the biggest thing and like there's people like evil ted kamui cosplay odin makes a lot of these are people you hear from now right but yeah. they got like loads of templates you could buy and just like alter so it's out there it's just about how much time you're willing to put into it it's it's definitely a craft it's a maker thing and you know i like i said i go to these cons and i see people put together things especially i put it this way we got different body types you know what i mean and i'm like oh yeah you definitely made that yours you know you you have like the broader shoulders the the big thighs the whole frame and people make it work and sometimes these sort of like out of the box options don't really work. So you have to modify, you have to have some, uh, some knowledge of like sewing, some knowledge of, all right, yo, I got to get this type of glue because I need to have this connected to my hair or whatever. And yeah, being able to dive into it and to your point, it's, it's having some money, I guess, but it's really having an interest and a desire and a time to really figure it out. And yep. that's what part of this is, you know, of, 
you know, there are times where I'll go back to my editor and I'm like, yo, the audio's trash. I know it's trash. And he was like, no, it came out great. And I was like, cool. I don't know how I stumbled into that. And there are other times where I'm like, I know acoustically this is going to be great. And it's, it's just great. And it's just kind of like having a sense just through, what is it? Uh, it's almost like creative muscle memory. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. It's, it's, it's one of those things that just like any other job or any other like trade, right? You just... It's certain things that's written out in the instruction book for mm-hmm. you. And there's certain things that you just got to learn. Yeah. And you just got to learn by picking it up, cutting yourself, knowing how to measure stuff, <laughs> you know, knowing how much fabric to get, knowing which glue to use for uh, what type of adhesion. You know, it's 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 a very... Uh, a very intuitive skill to have. And then it kind of transcends, right? Because now when something, you know, need to fix something in the house, like, oh, I know how to fix that. I got a sander. I got a rotary tool. I got a heat gun. I got all this other stuff. And it just keeps expanding. Yeah. So it's a really cool, really cool knack to have. And just like, you know, with the budget thing, right? You can give somebody millions of dollars and, you know, they might not make anything with it. Yeah. Depending on the right person, you know, you give them a couple million and next thing you know, it's something totally different. So it's, it's about the mind and, and of that person. Yeah. And, you know, just what they want to do, because execution is key. And when, especially when it comes to what I do, you know, you know, execution is like if it, you can't execute. Don't even try it. What, what would you say is your like? all time and i know it's going to be like picking picking a kid you know you know what is your all-time favorite creation that you've made and you know talk about some of the steps within the process of bringing it to life oh man i know i know Ah, that changes that changes because i'm gonna be honest with you my latest uh the alien the alien the royal guard alien um, that whole little line of creatures, <laughs> like the face hugger, overmorph, chest burst. And I think, you know, I, I want to say if I had the one, right? Yeah. The Royal Guard. He's 12 foot, 15 <laughs> feet long. Jeez. He's pretty much the creature I've been w- waiting to build since I saw that queen alien, yeah. right? Um, A lot of that was just me being like, there was a sense of freedom I felt because in the DC line in that portfolio, you saw a lot of anthropomorphic characters, right? Like half man, half bat, half man, half anglerfish, you know, and then uh, you had Scarecrow and you had this other dude, you know, Atrocitus, which was pretty much like the devil almost, right? right? So this was my first time really being able to break out of the human form and just say, screw it. None of that no, like we're going to do this old school style with PVC pipes and a crap load of foam. And we're going to um, learn some new techniques as far as like how to make things move without you being in it and being in it. So it's like a suit and a puppet. So this is like a, a new form of freedom, which is why it's my favorite. Not necessarily. OK, looks, everything else. Yes, it's great. Chef's kiss, right? <laughs> but this was like this was I did all of that other DC work and everything else was to create this. Mm, yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of the patterning, 
that I tried out specifically. Uh, like say, for example, if you look at King Trench, you can see a lot of like the way the elongated arms or like the way the hell bat suit, my Batman suit yeah. kind of has like the piping and the shoulders. I'm like, that's H.R. Geiger all day. Right. You know, if you look at certain parts of it, if I just took close up shots of it, yeah. it looks like a xenomorph until you pan out. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So a lot of that stuff I've been, um, you know, uh aspects of the royal guard alien i've just been gearing up to for like years now so it's a hard question because i really love lord atrocities so the dc line too yeah the big bad seven foot villain i did uh i mean I that's, that's the one that, that that really is popping for me because one like that's just my personality type if i'm not doing a podcast it's like uh, mm -hmm. just, <laughs> no but mm -hmm. i i think just the, the sheer scope of it because i'm i'm looking at this this picture with what looks like you're in a shed with just everything around you i was like this is fire i see the bad suit i see like the uh i think it's like a whole like bat head with the the lab coat i was like all of this is fire yeah that's uh that's that's who i truly am yeah you know that's those characters are depictions of me throughout a certain time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're like wearable journals and I, I love them so much where it, it is like, like you said, it's picking kids, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like picking versions of myself throughout time too. And, you know, those, I, I love all of them. But, uh, you know, that alien is just, just it's a new celebration and a rebirth of me, you know, and I'm pretty sure that'll change. I'm working on the queen, my version of the queen right now. And and that's once and that's, that's done. Yeah. I don't know who's going to be the favorite. And it's funny because that's one of my rapid fire questions. I'm going to give you a little inside baseball before we even get to it. Just letting you know that that might have something to do with a rapid fire question I got for you later. Oh, uh, OK, so OK. And it, so let's let's talk about your preferred like material what have you so is it true that you prefer to work with foam if so what are like some of those benefits working with foam above like other materials i love foam that is very true foam is very addictive uh there's plenty types of foam yeah. uh, i use eva foam and upholstery foam mostly upholstery foam is like what you're sitting on in the, in the couch bed yeah. all other stuff and eva foam is like the formats or the craft foam that I was telling you about. And one of the most addictive parts of working with EVA foam is that literally, literally, you can make it look like anything. It's like fabrication heaven um, because you can make it look like tree bark. You can make it look like scales. Uh, you can paint it up real good to make it look like metallic silver. You know, armor, all of that stuff. And it's it's addictive. And once you figure out how to, you know, cut it in certain angles, uh, detail it and really get it to, to look like things yeah. that it's not, uh, it becomes addictive um, opposed to using latex or, right. you know, wet foam, excuse me, wet clay and things of that nature. And, and those are things that I am going to get into a little bit more down the line. But right now, you know, as I said, uh, my mission is trying to marry uh, some of those old special effects techniques yeah. and looks and characters with things that you could easily buy. Um, 
from this new cosplay line of materials that's that's really popping out so and, and thank thank you for for sharing that um and yeah because i think we have a preferred mode of what we want to work in like you know using different recording equipment right i know how to mm -hmm. use three or four different ones but i prefer to use my mixer and i prefer to use this sort of setup but i think knowing how to do other ones is like yeah i can do other ones but this is what i prefer to work in and this is what i'm most skilled in and, yeah. and and that's ultimately kind of how that goes we all have the things that we like you know um what and maybe it's the current project but what is the most challenging project you worked on and what was particularly challenging about it like was it like yeah i couldn't figure out this adhesion here it's like uh, the foam is all wrong this is the scope and the scale of this or it's like the deadline doesn't quite work tell me about that yeah i, I mean i will i will say that there's there's like multiple mm -hmm. like i could give you an example like man bat um his wings his wings were something for me to really wrap my head around mainly because i haven't made anything that long or that thin before either as mm. far as like the actual flaps of the wings i made those out of like two millimeter craft foam and then i was using like got some crutches and added like pvc pipes to them and it was just it was uh one of those things where it really taught me how to account for weight when you're acting in a suit and things yeah. of that nature, because it was just like, yo, my forearms and delts are like burnt up just from <laughs> this one character, like <laughs> shoulder day every time you got to suit up. And then, you know, uh, like right after that, Atrocitus was like, I don't know. Everybody that I created was relatively my height. Yeah. Or, you know, I could get away with in platforms, but that was my first time, like, actually adding zoo platforms and kind of like modding things of that nature and just like moving totally different and yeah. like overcompensating certain movements that you think like, oh, I'm probably doing too much, but to the outside, it looks just right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like those big larger than life characters. And I would say without doing those two, the alien wouldn't be what it is. Right. Because I had to bump my head up against that wall for some time and um one of the things i would i would say one of the harder things though if you look at that bat suit you'll notice that there is a uh a red symbol in the yeah. chest mm -hmm. getting melting acrylic is a little <laughs> bit harder when you don't have like a dedicated oven or tool to do it with <laughs> and cutting it the right shapes is a little bit harder if you don't have like the dedicated stuff so that was one of the ones where it took me about like four times to actually get it right wow and let me tell you this acrylic sheets add up very quickly <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine so some of those mistakes hurt some of those mistakes hurt so so how tall are you I'm only 5'11". I'm not tall at all. Oh, got it, got Because I'm like, because I'm trying to, because I'm trying to, I don't have the scope. Like people think I'm short, and then when they see me in person, they say, "Oh, you're a monster person." I was like, that language, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not the tallest guy. I'm, yeah, you can see me, but I, I, you know, I'm girthy, but I'm not tall. <laughs> I guess you could say girthy or. I don't know what to call it. I'm a, nowadays. I'm a, I'm a shower, not a grower. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm a shower, not a grower. 
I, I remember <laughs> going, going to one of the conventions and I was like, they, if someone asked me, because they'd seen me a few times at maybe BlurredCon, and they were like, yo, when are you dressing up, bro? And I was like, yo, it's hard to find a lot of material for this big frame. And it's like, yeah, you, you are kind of big. I was like, yeah, just give me a bunch of sheets. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I gave you a bunch of sheets wrapping around you. Yeah, I'm just like, ooh, I'm a ghost. Uh, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, one of those things uh, where now, nowadays I've been, you know, because of all my commitments, you know, at cons now, sometimes it's harder to suit up. But uh, it's funny because when people see me out of uh, out of the suit, they're like, "Damn, he's kind of big, man." I'm like, "Well, yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> the gym, you know, yeah, powerlifting, you know, a few weights here and there." Yeah, like so, it wasn't just the phone. <laughs> like, no. like, nah, man, nah, bro. It's like it's like what Dwayne said. You know, it's not pads. This is actually my body, and that in, in this uh, Black Adam costume, you know. Yeah, so some of that stuff is like, oh, his arms are huge. I'm like, yeah, they had to fit me. <laughs> I, I, I joke on occasion because I'll wear like weird cutoffs. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I took a little trend before I came out here. And like, what? Hell yeah, get that trend popping, get them veins popping. <laughs> just just admitting to steroid use. This is ridiculous. That, that good old trend balloon. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah, where's the Decker? Uh, so... You, 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 so I, I read that you had some, again, these, this is overlap, you know, early inspirations include, uh, you know, turtles and street sharks, which street sharks is, is a deep cut for some, um, I may have done a lost podcast about anthropomorphic, uh, teams of, uh, characters who are fighting. Mm-hmm. Just look up when you have the chance, look up tiger sharks. You're going to have a great time. Uh, oh. what okay. were, what about these properties that really like sticks with you? Because, you know, I would imagine you're, 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 you're a kid of the early nineties, like, like I am. And, you know, these things are like, it's a formula that works. And mm-hmm. ultimately you're like, hmm, I want to maybe go to these things that are with like-minded people. So what is it about that type of content that really kind of stuck with you and really kind of maybe got you interested early, early, early on? I would say when it came to those anthropomorphic characters, I never really felt all the way human. I've always had this deep connection to nature. Okay. Which is why I got so many reptilian children of my own. You know, I always felt that it was like something deep inside of me. Like I could almost transform. Like I could feel it behind my eyes. If I just concentrate. (laughs) Twitch, twitch. I could could just turn into a raptor or something like that. Um, That and just the like the toys and the marketing behind it, you know, yeah. they, they really made you feel a part of the game back then. Whereas nowadays, it's just like, oh, okay, you know, here's this this program. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to. Yeah. No, they don't. Not at all. They don't really care. It's like, okay, how many viewers can we get? How much money? Boom, we're done. And I, and I, but, I don't think they were as if you look at it in the '80s, right? I don't think they were as obvious about it. You know, like, you know, like if you right. look at Transformers, right? You look at it as an adult, you're like, this is just uh this is just a fire sale for toys. You know, we need to sell these or exactly same thing with He-Man, but now it just feels like there's there's less of a soul in it, or maybe I, I don't know. I think in kind of dealing the nostalgia, because like, you know, I'm looking at some of the stuff that you've you've worked on. You look at, you know, you mentioned um Jurassic Park, you know, that's 30 years old at this point, you've in terms of the movie. You mentioned aliens, that's 36 years old or what have you. So, you know, going back into that nostalgia and growing up, it's like, is it a a lack of soul in it at times when 
you see something that might be CGI versus something that's a practical effect because that's where you're at. You're in the practical effects lane. Yeah. Like you're a wizard, dude. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think I think that you hit the nail on the head, lack of soul. I think it's because it just seems like we were cre- more creative with the less technological advancements that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, one of the things I always tried to create for the camera, which is one of the sayings that I always say, and like, even when I'm asked advice, you know, at a con or anything, I'm like try to create like for the camera, like kind of know what shots you want to hit. And it's just one of those things I will I say it to this day, it, you know, shooting certain creatures, certain armors and all this other stuff. It just hits different when it's actually in the camera. Yeah. When it's actually in the camera, it's undeniable. I did a, some test shots the other night with one of the characters for this little Halloween special. Um, it's like there's no way in hell they can make this CGI. <laughs> Me and my, my wife and I was just like, yo, this because she's my partner as well. It's kind of like a family business. Nice. But um, I was like, yo, they you can't fake this. There's yeah. no... Photoshop or anything. It just has to be raw and in camera. And the soul part of it, listen, I love this culture that we have today where the geeks or whatever you want to call us (laughs) are the popular. You know, I never thought I'd see today. Um, But when it comes to the actual soul, it kind of begs me to question, like, what's real? Mm-hmm. Like, like who's in? Honestly, if you look a little bit deeper, it's easy to see what's real and what's not. You know, um, it's just one of those things where if Hollywood isn't going to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to wait for <laughs> anyone to like bring me on their, you know, costume team or effects team to to get something done. Like, you know, I'm going to show you how this would really go through my lens, right? Because yeah. my stuff is really coming from the soul and a lot of the times uh just like with the, the characters I create, you know, with these some of these stories that I'm I'm going to be telling in the future has nothing to do with aliens. It has to do with me. But if you don't know, you don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like the Royal Guard is a, is a symbol for the monster that I've become or the character I've become in order to serve the queen. Who is the queen? That's my wife. Yeah. Uh, what's home? The hive. That's who I take care of. And being uh, the guardian and protector of that and becoming this big monster because all of the roles and duties that you've accumulated over time when you were in your drone and warrior stage, now you're the royal guard, you're the praetorian of the hive, which means nothing goes, everything got to go through you. You know what I'm saying? So really it's just a synonym with the growth of me as a human being and as a man. It has nothing to do with aliens at all. <laughs> it's just easier to tell that coming of age story in an aliens universe. Yeah. But that's the soul that I put into the monsters. Mm-hmm. Like a Lord Atrocities, him being seven foot with all the volca- volcanic 
uh, armor and all of that, and how you see that pulsating red lantern and all that, that just has to do with me be dealing with anger and rage. Yeah. And that's who I would be if I was to let go. Has nothing to do with the red lantern itself. I just choose it because it's more palatable. Yeah. I mean, it's in, more, in, in some you know respects, in some respects, like this iconography, whether it's pop culture, whether it's comics, what have you, those are parables. You know, those are the, the psalms that we have these these sort of connections and what have you. And we use it to mean something else. Like I definitely connect with atrocities. I definitely connect in that way because, you know, when I was younger, I had the whole like, yeah, I'm probably gonna kick a hole to this wall sort of thing as a means <laughs> of, of dealing with. And then, you know, you 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 get a 300 pound dude going. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to kind of say, all right, you need to de-hulk, you know, yeah. and, and and that's a thing. Or what what I feel like I relate to most is Marv from, from Sin City. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, that's more of where I'm at or what have you. It's just like, you know, if we start looking at characters and what they represent as maybe facets of who we are from a personality standpoint, that's how people cope. That's how, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, I see myself in, in, in this person or what have you. And yeah, it's not 100% obviously, but when I'm at a given stage and, and I like the way that it was described earlier about it being like a diary, a journal of where you're at, at in, mm -hmm. in your life or what have you, there are, you know, when I look back at my, my podcasts and going through that whole history of almost 14 years of it, I can't be the same guy I was when I was 24 versus being 37. I can't yeah. be. I can't be. <laughs> and the, the references impossible. are differences. The references are different. The the the, uh, the the things I was into are different. And I think, you know, you might look back at it and like, damn, mm, I can't believe I used to say that. Or, wow, I'm a different dude now. Or yeah. that wasn't the most yeah. evolved way of thinking. And yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. And it's, and it's a vulnerability there too. So, you know, big shout out to you in that regard of really putting yourself out there and taking that that sort of chance and having that courageousness and that, that courage to create because you know that's yeah. the thing especially when it's coming from the from the soul in that way you know it's very vulnerable it's yeah. is is thank you i appreciate that and it is very vulnerable you know you say sure not a grower it's like <laughs> that this is me being butt naked <laughs> on stage like with each creation this is like all my hopes my dreams how i'm feeling sure. and they're just you know wearable journals is, is kind of what i coined them as and it will be funny to it will be fun to see like maybe like five six years from now like if i recreated some of these characters they probably look totally different mm-hmm I'm, I'm like waiting. you said with the growth. I'm waiting for the book. I'm waiting for the book with the the images and the journal entry. That, that's that's the natural thing I see you doing. Oh yeah, it's uh -huh. gonna be some 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 more visual stuff too. <laughs> so yeah. here, here's the last real question I have for you uh, before I get to those rapid fire ones, which I've been adding to as uh -oh. we've been talking. Uh -oh. Uh, uh oh. So I watch, and you probably seen it too. That that it's a I think it's either black or horror noir, maybe, but it was a slasher horror documentary where Jordan Peele mentioned that black people tend to root for the villain in stories and horror movies uh, because that's how we're. It's almost like representative of how we're treated in society. You know, we're always the yeah. villain. The black yep. guy did it. Um, what are your thoughts on embracing the villain in a story? Because, you know, most of your, your guys, they're, they're dark, they're horror characters. They're, they're the villains. So tell me about that. Who said they were the villains? Somebody. <laughs> somebody. Somebody wrote them as villain. I don't see. 
listen, I, I said is this. Um everybody's the hero of their own story. Yeah. I don't believe they're villains at all. Because if you look at some of the backgrounds as far as what drove them to go down the specific paths that they went down, you know, it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> if if most of us were, you know, presented with that type of situation, a lot of us will fall into that villain category. Mm-hmm. I look at I, I I look at them all as heroes. Um but in this case as far as like rooting for the the villain, yeah, I, I definitely see myself doing that more because one we are treated that way in society a lot yep. way more than often. You are 6 foot 4 300 pound black dude from Baltimore, right? East side, yeah. I, east side. <laughs> I am the embodiment of the south side of Chicago. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you think about somebody from you probably gonna think about somebody that look like me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm a bigger black guy, you know, I'm muscular, you know, probably like the people that you don't want to see in a dark alley, me and you. But um yeah. it's one of those things where I, I see myself rooting for it because I want some form of like just doing for the people that have been done wrong. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I find myself creating villains and monsters is because for 34 years of my life, I've been looked at as a monster. So I know what audiences and what mainstream media and people fear because I know the reactions that I get when I'm walking a little too fast in Target or when I got black on. <laughs> yeah. All black on and Joanne's fabric, or when I got the scully on at the gym, <laughs> you know, I look a little bit like, oh, you artist? Oh, you cosplay? Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> cool. Um, but I know that feeling that mm-hmm. those monsters have. And then, like I said before, I always felt a little bit more in tune with nature. So, and a lot of the movies that I, you know, watch and study. Are more creature focused, and I'm always rooting for them. Yeah, I try to, you know, I try to stay away from the slashers because there's a lot of bad people uh, in real life killing people. Yeah. Being from Chicago, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, I don't need to see nobody get shot. I, I mean, <laughs> same thing here. <laughs> all right, I'm I'm good. Uh, I think I'm all set, guys. <laughs> yeah, so I I, I tend to and, and no. You know, that's not nothing against that section of horror because I love those too. I got to see Halloween ends because it's part of my job. I got to watch all horror. But when I have my choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Give me some creatures. Yeah. Got to have some monsters. And I'm always rooting for them. I'm always rooting for the underdog in this case. I'm looking for a dude in a rubber suit, you know? Dude in a rubber suit? Or a foam suit if, it, if, it, if it's your work, you know? But I'm going to try to make it out of foam. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so. But yes, I, I definitely agree. That was a long answer and long way to say yes. No, I, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it because it's you know we don't we don't do short answers here. We well we're about to do short answers, but we don't generally do short answers in the real part. We like to get the real answer, you know, and that is the real answer. I one hundred percent agree. And um, yeah, so I've added I've added like four rapid fire questions. Um, so. I got, Let's go. I got like eight rapid fire questions for you. <laughs> uh, brevity is key here. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. All right. I got you. Uh, what's a monster movie design, like a creature design that you would want to have a crack at, like a major movie that you're like, you know what? I could do that better. 
Uh, better or want to add to? Whatever your interpretation is. Like, you just want to crack at. And you're like, you know what? I wish I, I, wish I did that. The Cathalga from Relic. From the Relic. It was, uh, I think it came out in 95 or 96. Mm-hmm. Chicago-based movie here at the Film Museum. Super dope. I love the design. Mm-hmm. I just, I love the design. And it was so different. Mm-hmm. I just think that with my skill set and my uh, me being super in tune with nature, yeah, I think that I could create something that would be super dope. Not to say that it's not dope. I yeah. love that that character and that mm-hmm. creature design. Right? I just like yo. I really wish I could have had a crack at that. One hundred is ninety seven. By the way, twenty fifth anniversary. Twenty fifth anniversary. The relic is a very super sleeper one of the best uh creature reveals too hands down this is apt because like i said i've been doing some deep dives and you know i see the alien thing and you what usually goes with alien is maybe predator for better or worse out of the pantheon of predator what is your favorite predator movie one you get predator one you get it you get it the the mystery and lore Yep. And the actual buildup of not knowing who's hunting you. It's almost, uh, it's, it's something very mysterious about that first movie. Now, take now. I'm talking black, not as in title, but as in uh, the demographic, right? Mm-hmm. What is your favorite black horror movie? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably Get Out. Okay. It's super recent. Super recent. Okay. Get Out was uh, very scary to me. Very yeah. scary to me. And, and one of the things that freaked me out the most is uh, the one scene where <laughs> they had everybody over at the house yeah. and he was getting all of the compliments and he, they was like, they was speaking about him as if he were, weren't there. Yeah. And being, uh, you know, these are things that people joke about. And sometimes you'll hear them in subtle ways from like your colleagues that who are not black. And yeah. it's like, damn, that's how you think of me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it was very, it was very scary. Very scary. For for a brief second, I thought you were going to say because you did some stunt work and it is L'Oreal Hollery. Nah. <laughs> Shot to nah. Shot I mean, to I mean for, for me, it goes a little further back. Um, it's the initial Tales from the Hood. It's it's okay. rough. It's rough with the puppets. I can't I can't jam with the puppets. You know, Tales from the Hood is up there. Um, it didn't scare me though. I'm now granted. It, I saw it when it I was ten. So that's, a, that's the thing. I saw it when I was ten. So you know, it's that first time. You're like, Ugh. when they jump out the painting. <laughs> I was like, I get nah. it. Yeah, <laughs> like, nah, I get son. it. I get I'm all it. set. <laughs> it's always it hits a little bit different when they look like you too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Because um, yeah. at one point, even that sequence in it where the politician, that dude, mm-hmm. and, I, and he's like a zombie, I was like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm good. Because you don't, I haven't really, I did, I, like, I'll put it this way. I was Jason Voorhees because of my size for like five straight years. That was my Halloween costume. So it's just <laughs> like, I, I wasn't hanging around white people in the projects. It's just like, oh, this is, this right. white person is a fictional character. Yeah. But when you saw Candyman, it hit different. Uh, 100%. 100 percent yeah uh-huh. you want to know what was freaky about candy man um there was a couple scenes um that were shot in my old university's library oh wow and i used to be in there i'm like ooh, 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because at UIC, yeah. University of Illinois at Chicago, sometimes they would get late. And sometimes, you know, be with a study group or something. Yeah. And you just start having those flashbacks. Like, remember when she got dragged out? Okay. Damn, cool. We're going to get back to this French. Damn, you know. And then um, for the latest one, yeah. uh, as well as the old one, uh, yeah. Cabrini Green, the projects I yeah. used to work. And my old company used to be right across the street from it. Mm. And just like some of those flashbacks. Yeah. You know, it's a very Chicago centric film. Those I'll just say this, those movies, because I'm about to do a screening um, as as we're talking, I'm going to do a screening around this time of the most recent one. Um, and I, and I was mm-hmm. struggling between it because I did a review on the, the original and I was like the most recent one definitely pings on that art button a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, the first movie definitely tickles the uh, gothic notes a lot more, which I really like, you know, like this is a tragic figure. It feels like it's a gothic story like, oh, this works in this way, whereas the update, it's it works in different ways and there's an effect in it that I don't like that I'm going to make fun of. <laughs> mm. I don't like de-aging. I'll just say that. I don't like de-aging. It's just like, look, just, you know, just say, look, he's yeah. decaying. Just don't, don't de-age him. He's, you yeah. know, Tony Todd is a thousand. Let that man live. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was really able to appreciate in this latter one is uh, the use of Cabrini Green as a character. Because mm-hmm. if you're from Chicago, you know exactly what that, project and what those buildings actually represented mm-hmm. um and you also know the aftermath of it as well so a lot of talks of the gentrification things of that nature i liked how it was used as a as a bigger character yeah. uh than just the first one so yeah, yeah. and yeah. that might be some stuff that you might have to holler at me about like after like hey why did they i'm like oh i could tell you that see first of all you know <laughs> take off the glasses <laughs> because I've, I've been i've seen some things you know <laughs> See, I think eventually when I do the uh, actual movie review, that's the movie review you're going to be on. That's that's the one that's going to happen. Definitely right. have me on for that one. Um, yeah. let's see, I got I got four more. I mean, five, uh, four more I want to knock out. Um, favorite Halloween candy? Daffy apples. Okay. Um, I'm going to save the 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 very controversial one for later. Uh, scariest movie you've seen in the last five years? And technically, Get Out is in there, but let's exclude Get Out from this this scenario. I'm not really, uh, I don't really get scared. I don't know if I can answer this question. Uh, Or surprising. Maybe, maybe surprising. I'm not really surprised either. I'm not, listen, it takes much, it takes a lot to move me. Okay. Mainly because I, you know, being in this realm, in this industry, you know, I consume... And I see and I create so much. I'm like, this is going to take a lot to scare me. <laughs> this next question is going to be really funny, man. All right. <laughs> Have you ever been scared by one of your own creations? Have I ever? Uh... Like, damn, I did a good job on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> Atrocity. I'm going to be honest with you. Atrocity took some getting used to. <laughs> Seven feet. The girthiness. The eyes lighting up. <laughs> Yo. Listen, my boy, uh, he came over. We were doing some stuff. I think it was, he was just in the studio with me. He was like, I can't look at him for too long. <laughs> and I was like, I got it. I got it. And um, I, I'm, I know what it is. The, it's the high cheekbones and the eyes and the teeth. And um, 
he, he yeah. Yeah. yeah, he takes some time to get used to. And just such a menacing figure. I really hit the nail on the head with that. I, when I, was, I brought him to C2E2, he was, uh, uh, little kids, didn't, they didn't like him. <laughs> I'll say, at one point, when the pandemic first started, right, I have this um, Airsoft Oni mask. It's got the big teeth, the bugged out eyes. And I was just wearing it in a very white, friendly area. And I was like, this is my, this is my mask. And then someone just sees me walk up, just all, like, oh shit. It's like, nah. In nah. a big pony mask. It's like, yo, who's this? Who's this large golem? Uh, all right. <laughs> so here's the last one. Uh, kind of a two part, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound a little similar to one of the early ones, but this is not necessarily one I think you would want to do, but one that you would want to see done in a practical way. So, okay. Is CGI cheating? And if so, which CGI monster would you see? Would you want to see done over as a practical effect? Ooh, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. So first to answer, uh, CGI is not cheating. Mm-hmm. It is to supplement the art. Um, it could be overused at times. I think it's best used when it's paired with practical. Um, Jurassic Park '93 proved that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite movie pretty much changed everything stranger things did um, it recently too with the um uh freaking uh, yeah yeah and that, that, and that yeah. was that was a really good combination of the two a really good combination of two now the second half of that question is there a uh cgi character that i think will be done better practically right yeah. that's hard that's a hard one because you, I mean, it's hard for me because usually I'm so like dialed in mm-hmm. to what I'm working on, <laughs> being like editor, you know, predator, alien, all of that stuff. There was, uh, I was just rewatching the the Resident Evils with Mila Jovovich. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple scenes with the liquor. Not yeah. saying that they could have did the whole entire thing, but I'm like, yo. If they would have shot that one scene mm-hmm. using practical, even if it's just like the front torso of it, yeah. it could have been made. It could have hit way harder as far as like believability, because sometimes, you know, in that early 2000s, man, we got some really whack CGI back then. But it was dope for the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Um there was a couple things and a couple of really and really I only cared about it because I'm a huge Resident Evil fan. Yeah. You know, so I'm not even gonna talk about like the recent stuff they've been putting out. Um because <laughs> if that's the case, all of that should be done practically. <laughs> and I could do it for the low. So holler at me, um Capcom and all Netflix. Of it was good. Netflix, I could do it for real. Um, but yeah, there was a scene with the liquor. Yeah. Um, I think it was either the second or third movie. It was the one with Mike Epps in it. Might have been the third movie. Because that's when they introduced Nemesis. Mm-hmm. But there was a couple things that I saw. I'm like, you know what? I could do that practically and shoot that and make it look better. So that, that that's that's one of the things. And yeah. plus, it's you know, it's just you know, as a as a Resident Evil fan, you know, it's just like you know, now that I do what I do, it's like, hey, uh, we gotta put some respect mm-hmm. on these creatures. Because you, you want to, you want to see the needle pushed in a way that if, like, I like, I have a, I have a yokai tattoo. I have like an, um, I have a food dog. I have like an oni. I, I got some wild Japanese tattoos or what have you. And 
you know, it's one of those things where if we're starting to see more and more of uh, these things that could be done in a way like I'll put it this way. When I watch Shang-Chi and that food dog pops out, I'm like, yeah, I like lost my mind. I was like, let's go <laughs> about, a, about, mm-hmm. a, about a CGI food dog. And if it was a practical effect, I don't know how they would do it or what have you. But, you know, just because of my, my knowledge base. But yes, give me all of it. Give me all of it. So yeah. it's like I want to see these things that, you know, it doesn't feel like it's a video game because I, I agree. I don't think it's cheating either, but I think. To your point, it is overused in instances and, you know, barbershop conversations always go back to 2002. So we're 20 years removed and you're talking about those 2000 CGI. I just mm-hmm. remember watching Blade and it's yeah. a bad fight and it's all CGI and it's kind of cheap because everyone is wearing black and it's shot at mm-hmm. night. And I was like, this is a shortcut. I was like, it's fine. Yeah, I'm sure there's talent and all of that attached to it. And I'm not legislating that, but I'm like, you guys didn't need to use that here. You could have just did some choreography, get back to filmmaking versus, you know, the digital. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's one of the things that I've really been watching for and studying. Like the only way in in this case, you know, just making it, you know, plausible in this case to use CGI is if I physically can't make a puppet or a actor do mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. or safely make a puppet or an actor do it you know because there's a lot of camera tricks that uh you know in, in different ways of editing to to pull things off like for example the uh scene in aliens when they're in the uh the med bay room mm-hmm. and hicks looks he you know they see them coming closer yeah. on the monitor and uh Hicks goes up and he looks underneath the air vent and he sees them crawling upside down. Well yeah. they were really crawling on all fours. They just yeah. they just flipped it and shot it. But once you see it it looks like you know so it's like the less kind of going back to what I said it's like the less technology we had the more creative we were forced to be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just one of those things where it's like now you can see that like, yo, we're going to write this big budget CGI blockbuster. And it's like, no, stop. Stop. That's why I don't believe you. That's why we don't believe you like at all. It takes me out of so many movies. That's that's why people, you know, that are these older filmmakers, they get in their old man hat. They're not making movies. And you know, there is like a at times the over-reliance on it. And I think the way that you described it, if you're able to use that sort of filmmaker approach, do some camera tricks, because, you know, you start looking at stuff from like back in the day, like, you know, looking at old Hitchcock, you see camera tricks, you see different types of shots to uh, get a certain feel and a certain reaction. And, and, I, and I'll leave on this before we hit this wrap up. But you know, it's one movie that I dug a lot that actually elicited a response because it keyed in on one of the things that I can't jam with. It's scope mm-hmm. and size. When something is a lot bigger than me, I can't deal. It's this movie mm-hmm. called Underwater. And oh, I already know the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I already nah. know the scene. I was like, I think I'm all good. I think I'm good here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. That and you know, that was a sleeper film, too. Yeah, I love that joke. But for 2020, um I one, I I I don't think. Obviously, we know what happened coming up to, to, to 2020, right? But I don't even remember seeing too much marketing for the film. 
No, it wasn't. It wasn't I live. saw, I heard about it doing a live on, on Instagram. And then I did uh, some research on it and watched it on HBO Max. But yeah, that, I already know what you're talking about. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't yeah. seen it. Yeah. But if you are afraid of things that are much bigger than you, there's a couple sequences that you're just not going to like. Like right. straight up, I loved it. I loved it. I love things that are bigger than me and are scary. That's how I make my money on the side. And hey, <laughs> you know, that's how I make my the bigger the better. But well, <laughs> I understand where size could like really freak you out. Yeah, it was great though. The way that I make my money on the side is talking to super <laughs> super interesting individuals such as yourself. So I want to thank you for being on this podcast with me this evening, and um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work, social media, all of that great stuff. The floor is yours. For sure, I am Tris Rex Tristan Tris Rex Johnson. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. You can find me on all social media under Tris Rex or Tris Rex Studio. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Tris Rex, Tristan Johnson for coming onto the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying there's art, scary things, spooky foam in and around your neck of the woods from really talented people. You just got to look for it. <laughs>